Hi everyone, it's Joakim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast. A podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. Today I'm talking with Matej Lankaric, who is a user acquisition specialist and he runs his own UA consultancy, which you can find by going to lankaric.mi, which is L-A-N-C-A-R-I-C dot M-I. In this discussion, we talk about Mate's perspective on user acquisition for mobile games, how game developers are becoming better at building games for UA in mind, and what the future holds for game studios that are embracing user acquisition. But before we go to this discussion, here's a few words from our sponsors. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's getigc.com All right, we're live. Hi Matte, welcome to the show. Hey Yaki, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Thanks. This is really good. Like I haven't really gone down the the user acquisition rabbit hole ever on the show, so this time we're definitely going to we are here. We're going to do it. Let's Let's kick it off with, if you can give me this kind of short three-minute summary of how did you make your way into doing user acquisition in gaming, which you're now doing for dozens of game studios? It's a, it's a, it's a really good question. And I guess it's, it's hard, to, hard to answer properly, but I think it somehow happened over the past couple of years, well, you know, step by step. It's all started when I was at, at Pixel Federation, well, which is the, the biggest game dev company here in Slovakia. I I just had the, some side gigs here and there because I, I definitely wanted to to learn more and gain more experience from like different genres and also wor- wanted to work with different companies because, well, different companies, different budgets, different challenges as well. So, and different teams, of course. So basically, I was really fortunate enough to work with like wide range of the studios from any like any size, from small to mid-size, but also big ones uh, recently. So, I guess what started as a as a side and like step by step getting to work hard and sharing the learnings evolved into where we are at the moment. So, I guess it's just amazing, right? I, I love the gaming industry. I know I, I learned a lot on the way. And then still learning. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm in a, in a very happy place at the moment. Definitely enjoying myself. Nice. Like, so it was a side gig. You you didn't plan on doing something like yeah, this. Yeah, definitely, definitely not. It just you know all evolved somehow. And I was I was actually thinking about like what exactly happened, but I can't tell. Like, okay, so I did this, and everything exploded. No, it's just step by step, multiple activities, and that's it. What is a typical client for you? I think the gaming company that knows what they're going to do and what stage they are in and what they're trying to achieve. And well, that's that's it, basically. It's not very complicated. Yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah, like I wanted us to cover like in this episode the basics of user acquisition. Very much focused on the mobile game studio launching a free-to-play title, going after a return on their ad spend. Nice. Like, I think kicking it off, like thinking about the first stage when the game is still an idea, how does user acquisition help there? And what are the metrics and these key performance indicators, the KPIs to look at? Yeah, um, I'm glad that more and more companies are now doing these, like, let's say, pre-soft launch activities. And then UA can help with uh, market research, any like audience definition, or even like keyword research for the App Store optimization setup. And doing also like marketability tests, but well, with focus on the CTRs. Well, not not fake CPIs because that's something else, but that can be sometimes misleading. So I'm definitely like looking at the CTRs from the from the first point of view. Do you do you see developers, you know, on this this CTR area? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the optimal way to actually start utilizing CTR when you have concepts for games, like or whatever you want to test there? Like, do you want to have multiple tests running, comparing to some industry benchmarks? What have you seen as best practice there? Yeah, it's usually run uh, multiple tests because like the marketability tests, in my opinion, is very good for like capturing trends and then comparing the 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 multiple variants. Or like if you want to test anything like cartoon versus realistic visual design, you know, aiming to get an answer. Like which of these two is resonating better with your your target audience? So this is something that I'm I'm seeing. It's usually again a trend, so it's not like 100% bulletproof. And you can even like if you see some kind of CTRs, it doesn't mean that this is going to have very low C- CPIs, which is something different with hyper casual games. I mean, there are some thresholds from the CTR standpoint of view that you can like, which can indicate basically what kind of CPIs you can get after after the launch. And I think mm. you discussed this with John Hogan on your, on your podcast previously from the hyper casual point. So, right. so so that's that's it. But basically definitely just looking at the CTRs as a trend and not like the 100% like correct answer because that can be a slightly misleading. When you have a concept in mind, mm-hmm. I, I just want to, you know, double yep. click on that a bit like you talked about the visuals, the testing of mm-hmm. that part, but have you seen people do like actual, like, hey, here's a, you know, PvP game, here's not a PvP game. <laughs> like, have you seen this gameplay marketability testing going on, or is it usually mostly on the, the, the visuals? Yeah, PvP versus non-PvP, also like different characters, how the characters should look like, It's if it's a male or female, again, different setting as well so uh, yeah all of these can be can be tested you just need mm. to compare the results and also like yeah, well very important thing like what audience you have and that's important because well if you for example testing some let's say female audience or female oriented game and then you're testing the pvp versus non-pvp i assume that's already kind of something you you know what what you are going to get Right. Yeah. But like, do you want to go broad in these tests or do you want to do some targeting? 
to, if you know the audience already? Yeah, usually I'm starting with broad and then comparing the results with the, with the audience that I, I assume is going to be, or this, the, the audience which I identified for my game that is going to be a core one. So I definitely want to see the, the differences because that's something I I think it's going to be very relevant after you just launch the game and start scaling because, well, the core audience is one thing, but then if you want to scale and broaden it up a little bit, you need to you need to be aware of like what you can expect at least. Got it. Yeah. Then going into that second stage where you have a build, a playable build of the game, what is the UA setup for that kind of the actual soft yeah. launch? And what are the KPIs the, the developers should be looking at when they're testing the actual yeah. build? Yeah, well, the most important part of, of the whole setup from the UA point of view is just to have tracking in place and all the all the technicalities, which obviously we have the technical soft launch phase for, testing the, the bugs, identifying them, trying to, to figure it out like where should be or could be a problem in terms of the MMPs or if you have a Firebase correctly set up or Facebook SDK, looking at the crash rate as well. And of course, like a basic ASO setup. So icons, screenshots, text, everything. And then if everything is then like working correctly, then moving to the retention phase, obviously looking at the day one, day three, day seven retention numbers. But also, I know you are definitely cheering for these like ratios between day one and day three and the ratio between day three and day seven, which is really important. And also first time user experience, looking at the onboarding flow, but also in the retention stage, looking at the what kind of CPIs we are seeing, how the CPI increases over time, what are the IPMs or CTRs and the conversion rates for basically on the creative level even, because that's important. And then in the retention stage, I, I already started like adding new sources, not only using the, the Facebook, but also adding the, the Unity and the UA, Google UAC and testing multiple optimizations from going from mobile app install campaigns to app event optimization campaigns with like different events. So for example, level two tutorial completion, level five, I don't know, spend 10 minutes in the game and stuff like that. Because these days, like mobile app install campaigns can get you to a certain point. And then afterwards, it's just, well, how to say it politely, it's just definitely the quality is decreasing over time. And you need to switch to, to get more quality players to be able to check the retention in a statistically significant manner. So that's, that's all of these like technical stage, retention stage, and then afterwards just going for monetization, basically looking at the early monetization, the equation, CPIs versus LTV, super important. And then I always try to look at the like this, basically how the ROAS improves over time, day one, day three, day seven. So I know the players are still there playing, how, how the LTV is improving over time. So I know like what can we expect in terms of the LTVs afterwards. And then, yeah, testing different purchase campaigns on different networks, also on Facebook, UAC and, and Unity as well. And then like other networks too. But then like another whole topic of, of soft launch is just the creative testing, which is again, like very important. 
So yeah, a lot of things, a lot of things to to look at man. in the different, in long the different stages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's super overwhelming when you don't haven't done it before. But it, it feels like this is an area that you know all of the developers who've gone down and, and tried these things. It isn't that hard to grasp when you start thinking about hey, the core is CPI versus LTV yeah. and you you know what contributes to CPI what contributes to LTV and that's where you break things down really and it's it's quite simple it always boils down to that same equation yep exactly like then you mentioned the creatives there should developers immediately start testing these creatives in the early stages of soft launch even when you're just you know mm-hmm. trying to figure out if day one is good enough yeah, I think uh, if you're trying to figure out if day one is enough, then um, I'm not sure this is going to be a very good thing to do <laughs> early on. I mean, there is no straight answer to this, but the first creatives usually, I call them like trailers where we usually show gameplay and, and the features of the game. And it's really important to be very consistent in showing the gameplay because that's something that uh, sets the expectations for, for the players and then that's why and how we actually measure the day one to be very statistically significant. And then the creative testing, if you start doing it like too early and you are going too far for, from the gameplay and start testing different approaches, different angles, this can be a little bit misleading. So you can get the lower CPIs, but also you can get very low day one retention. And then, okay, so... What caused the, the, the dip? It, was it creative or was it a game? And it just creates a lot of uh, different questions and it's um, definitely not a very wise thing to do from day one, but definitely after retention, after you are satisfied with the day one, maybe day three, then definitely going for a creative testing is, um, is beneficial. Have you ever seen a game which got killed because they just didn't understand like that the creatives weren't working like at that stage where they could have day one does that happen it it happens i mean you know like you have a day one stable day one day three maybe as well but then you see like super high cpis and you can't work around that well unfortunately you know like if you if if you are in the let's say netherlands and you see like five de- five seven eight dollars even after like a lot of creative testing and different trying out different angles well it's just that game concept and the visuals are probably not going to work or well it can work but you, your ltv needs to be very very high <laughs> which is definitely harder than <laughs> like decreasing the cpis so so then you want to understand your games relationship with the audience through these creatives oh like, yeah definitely yeah yeah, yeah. then like you you continue on the road with your game which then comes to the third stage so like the scaling stage where you have proven the cpi versus ltv and yeah. there is a day 30 day 60 raw as is looking positive can you talk about the way that these studios are doing this profitable UA and how it works. Yeah, it's uh, just like we discussed. Everything is is basically based on the LTV and, and the CPI and LTV equations. You can scale to certain level uh, and it's always capped by your LTV. So now it comes down to like defining scaling, basically. Mm-hmm. 
That's yeah. uh, that's very, because all, like other com- like companies have very different uh, definitions of scaling, but very important part of the of this and scaling is just working very closely with with the product team and well analytics as well, because if you are trying to scale the game, you definitely have to start adding like multiple UA channels and trying to diversify the UA portfolio, and that. You know, comes down to talking again with the analytics team because a lot of channels are like different channels have very different LTVs. And also from what you see on Facebook is very different story than what you see on Google, UAC, or even Unity. So, and even in, in, Unity, in, in, uh, in UAC, you have different events, again, different LTVs. So the, the daily communication with the, with the product team and the, the analytics team is very important. There are these like creative tricks and hacks you can use, but I know like a lot of companies are try tried to exploit the the fake ads and, and all about that. But yeah, you can you can do that to a certain point. You can then like in, introduce the fake ads to even like your um, to before your tutorial, which is something I've I've seen very <laughs> quite a lot, which is well very funny thing. But if it works, well, good for them. But in terms of like scaling again. Getting your LTVs in order on all the UA channels, and then applying the the scaling strategy step by step, opening one two new channels every month based on the based on the results or well based on the either ROAS thirty or sixty numbers and payback period. Nice. Yeah, I actually want to double click on something you mentioned there, which is working with the product team. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about some interesting examples there of where you are on top of the campaigns, you see what is going on, you have that insight. How do you go to the product team to have meetings, have discussions about what they could do on their end to, from your perspective, to improve the ROAS? So basically, I mentioned like before the before the podcast, the Jakub Remiar is working with uh, with Treplight, and I working with Treplight as well. We discuss like UA and then game design and and product almost on a daily basis. I always try to mention like, okay, so I I see day zero ROAS numbers, and we made some some changes on into the game, which obviously see, see and core. Obviously, I see and that correlates with the, with the early numbers. So then I take this information to him. I was like, "Hey, guy, hey, hey, Jakub, like, okay, so how can we revert this? What can what can be done from your side to actually get back on track?" Then we started like introducing a new special offers to capture the the early monetization again. And this is this is just a very easy example of what can be done. There, like for the iOS 14 campaigns, for example. We had to do like a very early monetization, basically the first day zero or day day one, first 24 hours are super important. So what can be done to get like the conversion to pair up? Okay, so there were like zero, like $1 special offers introduced. We see the the battle pass is, is the most bought like IIP, which again helps with the with the campaigns and even like well, not only Android campaigns, but now even better with the iOS campaigns. So that's why with, with Battle Legion, we are doing re- really well on the iOS and even better than on Android in these days, because thanks to the this like cooperation with the, with the product team. Nice, nice. Very interesting stuff. Like, I'm thinking about this kind of risk taking, which I've 
at least noticed a lot as a as an investor working with a lot of early stage studios who have ROAS data. I often see these studios starting off like somewhere like day 60 ROAS mm-hmm. is hundred percent. And then, then it's somewhere between like the day 60, day 90 and you're scaling mm-hmm. and then it gets moved backwards to like six months or, you know, a, a lot longer, yeah. but it's still coming back. Like, do you think that whole process of scaling when you don't know for hundred mm-hmm. percent sure that it will come back, maybe your future updates will increase the monetization of the game. Is it sustainable for studios who are using venture capital money to take this risk when the returns take longer and longer to to materialize yeah i think well, moving the the payback period makes sense and with with higher budgets it's, it's always always happening but it's what what is really important is basically having a long-term retention because well if your game has very low day 30 or maybe day 60 there is no point of scaling past that period of time because, well, there's no no one who actually plays the, the game and that can have uh, also like very big impact on your cash flow. It's like you are spending a lot of money and then no no one is playing the game. Then what? It's just very, very big risk to take. But also uh, I'm always looking at like uh, how much money the company have in the, in, in the bank account. And if uh, if the cash flow is healthy and the long-term retention is healthy as well, then, okay, that's how I look at the risks and then like how the, the company can take a risk like that. That's interesting. Then think about making these risky bets when you know if it will be coming back later on. How can you mitigate more of these risks? Like you just mentioned that you have retention in yeah. place. It's looking good. Uh, like, are there other ways to, to mitigate when you just don't know, even if, if you don't know, you know, the, the retention numbers that well? Yeah, it's, it should always be something like an educated guess or like a risk that's based on the, the data you have and based on, again, discussion with analytics team, product team, what are the uh, pipeline, what is the pipeline for new features and obviously marketing team as well, like how we are able to to sustain the the UA and, and flow of the of the new players in, but usually if I I see LTV or ROAS increase after like one over one one month over over another month or like after three months, there's a good chance to be somehow positive at the like six months or maybe one year. It just all depends on the on the incremental changes that that you can see from the ROAS perspective. But again, like different the different game genres might have very different LTV curves. So you know this is something you need to keep in mind uh, when you have uh, to make the decision about like scaling and, and and moving the payback period as well. I wanted to to talk about the trends because the the industry is moving forward so quickly, and usually like the tricks of last year. <laughs> Often, like you know, you need and even last year, sometimes even last month, <laughs> sometimes even last month doesn't work. Yeah, what do you think are the key trends now in 2021 for user acquisition? Yeah, I, I would say it's definitely uh, a channel diversification because if we had this like um, discussion like two years, maybe three years ago, I would say, well, 
You don't need any 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 other UA channel besides Facebook. You can spend the one million there, and you be, you will be profitable. All good because of the targeting possibilities and everything. These days, not only not only because of the IDFAs, but just like uh, very different uh, occasions that happened. Just adding Google UAC very often, very early on, Unity as well, and other ad networks too, and experimenting with Snapchat, TikTok here and there, just to you know grasp the the ua landscape and even like with smaller budgets it's it's definitely viable because yeah you can you can get pockets of like good players here and there i know it's like it's definitely more work because like those days when you had like two campaigns free campaigns um, on facebook and those same uh, amount of campaigns on uac is just like definitely gone yeah, I'm not complaining yeah. though. I'm not complaining though. I'm definitely uh, looking forward always when something changes. It's always it's great that we are able to adapt to to anything mm. basically. Yeah, yeah. Then the the hot topics for the last well months was this IDFA. How is the adoption of the changes been taken by the industry? No, well, we are we are fine. I mean, we are definitely adapting pretty well. And as always, <laughs> to to mm. almost any change that that's happening, just like uh, well, the gaming industry is amazing. We can yeah, we can adapt to anything that comes. I still see some some issues of evaluation or tracking in in certain game genres, but nothing that can't be fixed. I mean, we figured out how to run like mid-core games with purchase optimizations and like uh, probably casual games as well. Now it's like need to figure out how to run properly the games that are ad monetized but still can happen and you know i think we we will adapt to to anything even if it pops up like in in next week or next month or next year yeah which yeah, is definitely I, going to happen <laughs> for sure yeah yeah like i remember like i was super sold when there was one of these you know the, like the advertising ID was removed or something mm. back in the day, 2012. Yeah. Like there's always been these things. I think like we always adapt. I think the whole <laughs> IDFA, everybody was saying, or a lot of people were saying that there's there's like this nuclear winter coming. Yeah. <laughs> like I never <laughs> believed that. <laughs> And now, now you know. Now we we can we can uh, say it's just you know another um, way how to look at things. We didn't know that like a year ago, but of course we were hearing the stuff like paradigm shifts, tectonic shifts, apocalypse, and what what not. I mean, yeah. yes, of course, it was something different. People were scared, but like listening to, to a lot of podcasts about well about fluff basically without any value or like we shall see statements just weren't helping any, any anyone mm. it only mm. created a lot of chaos but again we are going to adapt what to what whatever changes are going to happen at some point in the future i'm always exactly. trying to be positive <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's because we face these things as a whole industry at the same yeah. time nobody is in a more less fair position yeah. than the rest so yeah, yeah, definitely. the The playing field is is definitely level now, and well, now we just we just need to figure it out all together. But what is really nice about the industry is just you know you can talk to to other developers, and they are definitely willing to to help you understand more. And this is again something that I love about the industry because well, we share things, we share the knowledge, we share everything that uh, that is working for us, and then just trying to help others to to achieve the same thing. 
Yeah, exactly. How has the work on creatives changed? Like creating new creatives, testing them, optimizing mm-hmm. them. Do you need to have fresh creatives every day? <laughs> And like, well, you know, is there still innovation there? Yeah, not not every day, but definitely every week. I found yeah. out, I think very recent, not very recently, but it's like some months ago, we need a lot of, a lot of new creatives on a weekly basis. And a lot of, I mean, at least one new. And, and that's something that, d- that definitely didn't change. Also, the process looks the same, like, you know, looking at the competitors, making the research, trying to understand the, the old creatives' performance and assessing them, then coming to the brainstorming with the, with the creative team, sometimes even like, you know, bringing the product uh, guy to just understand his point of view about the creatives, then creating, writing up the creative brief, producing the creatives, testing, evaluating, iterating and stuff like that. And, and that all over again. But now I know I'm, I'm hearing a lot of things about personas. Well, look, the personas were here a long time ago. Everybody was using it. Now it's just uh, this term is definitely more abused because of the IDFAs. So uh, a lot of companies trying to say, okay, so now we build creatives for certain personas. Yes, of course, but it's it's nothing new, basically. So so that that's something that I'm, I'm hearing. And also... I'm hearing a lot about the creative testing on iOS. I still don't know like why why people are so obsessed with with the creative testing on iOS because obviously I've I've done my homework multiple times on different games and and try to test out creatives both on on Android and iOS but I I saw the same same results and the winner creative is a winner on iOS on Google Play on Facebook on Google UAC all the, everywhere basically so it's uh you know sometimes it's just a lot of like waste money because the ios is really expensive and for testing yeah, the same thing you are testing on android and seeing the same results well okay well if if companies want to do that yeah for for sure good luck with that but you can save money and then like uh use it definitely more wisely and to the point of the innovation yeah i think there's still is some kind of innovation you know the the opera event guys came up with the influencer creatives which is definitely successful for some companies honestly never work out, worked out for me but it's definitely something to to test out luna labs coming with with playables you're able to to create very easy easily the The biggest innovation, basically, what I think is still out there and, and underserved is how the hyper-casual games can be adapted to um, other games' creatives. And I'm not talking about not only like noob versus pro type of thing, because, well, that was definitely a huge thing when it when it came out. Work amazingly well. There are different ways how to do this. And um, that's how, for example, we came up with the, with the mass battles videos for, for Battle Legion. If you remember, there was a, a hyper-casual game called Crowd City, I think. Well, basically, a lot of um, different units there and people running around. And it was very, very popular and definitely hit the top one or top five uh, rank. This is something that you can actually utilize for any game genre. Now I'm experimenting with with Tangled, which is like a very different wires, and uh, I think like there are like many games on on the market, using it for for Idle Panzer, and it's just doing super well at the moment. So like this is an this is a new innovation for for companies because 
you can you can take the the best performing hyper casual games and then use it for for your game to capture the the market size and the the different audiences and then broadening broadening up a little bit the the appeal of the of the game as well a question still about the creatives yeah do you have an like an opinion about like in-house teams doing creatives using externals like what is the sort of like as you're like probably you want to use some externals when you are smaller but as you grow Mm -hmm. like what are your thoughts there yeah i'm a bit biased because i have also like my own creative team as well (laughs) so (laughs) it's not but usually look usually it's it's all it's better to have an in-house team because well they're working alongside you and producing creatives they they are on the on the same page but you still still need to have or not need to have but it's it's usually beneficial to have a fresh pair of eyes and uh, and trying to trying to work with external partners as well just to to see different concepts because after a while it's just you know you can get to a certain point where you just produce creatives and it's just every, same thing all over again and sometimes an external partner can help you with with opening those eyes and bringing some new ideas that you never tested or were afraid of testing because well honestly i'm all for like creating crazy crazy creatives which are definitely emotional and trying to appeal to different audiences and then sometimes you know people are afraid to to test these out yeah yeah makes sense then going into like what you do on a daily basis like what is hard and challenging about your work <laughs> well everything <laughs> Everything. Uh, the jokes aside, jokes aside. I mean, like every day is 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 a different challenge. It's just like I said. Now these days, I'm introducing like you a Google UAC and Unity into the into the soft launch process very early on. This wasn't a thing last year, so we are now living in the world of like not stable performance on, in terms of the UA. It's just sometimes I feel like I'm on the roller coaster. So one day it's just the Facebook is working super well. The other week is Google UAC. Then it's Unity, Skyrockets, or just on the Facebook side, lookalikes are performing well. Then I, I speak to, to Facebook and they said, oh, oh my God, how this can work. And then the other way, other week is just, okay, so the AAA campaigns are working really well. It's, you know, you always need to keep track like what's happening and be on top of everything. And just, again, these are the challenges. And then you have the creative exploration and trying to find like these, you know, these new concepts that you can't definitely, you can't automate the the, the creative ideation process. So yeah. this is, this is a challenging, but you know, I'm not complaining, not complaining at all. I love my job. Mm. I, I'm very excited to, to work every day and even, even I'm looking forward to every Monday. So <laughs> not, not a problem. I definitely enjoyed the the gaming industry. So even even if it's challenging, but that's the part of the job. It is. It is. Like, then there's this like when you're running campaigns. Remember these moments when you know you hear that hey no, now the CPIs are really high or, or like hey yeah the performance is really good. Like is it that the the platform the ad platforms are doing changes that they don't communicate and or or is it mostly the audience that there's like uh, a major event in the US and it, nobody's really like wanting to to click on ads. What do you usually see like Yeah, this? it's it's both. It's both. Sometimes yeah. uh, sometimes uh, Facebook makes a change on the backend and you don't know 
until yeah. you you check the the data in the morning and it's like oh, oh okay <laughs> so what's 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 happening but then these are the changes on the on the platform side that's that's happening almost every month and almost uh, every time and then there are definitely events like uh, here in, in September like NFL started which I didn't know because well I'm not from US so I didn't follow I didn't follow that very closely but that happened people or like kids are getting back to school which again influences the the whole campaign setup and, and the, the landscape as well so yeah there are definitely events and and then you have a new game a big game that is just launching and then like pushing so hard for the for the ua and like spending a lot of budgets on the on the first week or first month of the launch and then that influences a lot of you know smaller developers and even 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 mid-sized developers because the auction gets really competitive right away get it then how do you think a small game studio can be more prepared to work with external user acquisition help like if they are at the stage that they've now raised funding there's they're about to soft launch how would they approach someone like you and what should they expect yeah i think it comes down to to know like what they want to achieve so if you said like they're in the stage, they uh, we, they have a game with the, the good numbers, then they need to understand that they're going to spend some money and and with some re- some ROAS numbers that they can see basically after first first days. But I think if they have money, they have the game. Need to be uh, brave enough to to open up the game to to a, a new market and start seeing more and more data. And after after this. You you will all, almost immediately see if the game is is going to be scalable or not. Basically, so yeah, they definitely want want definitely need to know what they want to achieve, and then that's it. Yeah, yeah. The game studio mm-hmm. wants to set up like their own own UA team, mm-hmm. but has never done that before. Where should they start, and how should they plan to grow this kind of team? the founders or like the exec team should always try to set up at least one or two campaigns by themselves <laughs> so mm-hmm. they know what's what's going to happen and obviously to get the chills of, of the first campaign and trying to refresh the the page for millions of times to to get the first installs and trying to understand how it works because it's usually very helpful when i talk to founders and they already know like okay so ua it's it's this, I can expect this and that because, well, I've done it before, but I don't have the time to actually manage it by myself. Well, of course, you are the CEO and you you have uh, your agenda and you need to sleep at least a couple of hours a day. <laughs> so so, so that's, that's definitely helpful. And for building the team, it's uh, it's really hard from the, from the get-go because you can get the very, well, if you get the wrong person on the team early on it's well that can be very harmful for for the company and for the game as well so i always try to to advise like hey guys so get some external help on board it can it can be an advisor who helps you actually set up the, the campaigns set up the analytics stack trying to like get get going and then help you with hiring people because well if you don't have the expertise it's really hard to find the right person so yeah. that that and you know that's that's why they're they're the advisors because well nobody knows everything in, in the world so so that's that, that's something that's can, that can be very helpful and then like if you are speaking to somebody who's who's doing 
like they have venture capital money raised into the studio. They are thinking about like, hey, how do we budget user acquisition for a game that we're going to be launching now? And how much like we should put in into mm-hmm. the budget for something where we want to test like the raw ass and uh, like figure out where we're going to be hitting. Of course, it varies a lot. Yeah. Like if somebody's doing like, let's say a merch game or, you know, a casual title, what what would could that look like? Yeah, I always try to to aim for at least like five to ten thousand um, testing budget because well, you need to have a significant statistically significant data, and if you are mm-hmm. spending like one thousand, yeah, well, you you will get the the first golden cohort very quickly. The numbers are looking amazing, but then you start spending more and more, and then well, the let's say that way, the numbers are not looking that great anymore. So you need to have a certain like threshold. I think like this five to ten thousand should give you enough indication of how the and the the scaling will look like, and mm. and usually like talking about budgets, well, it's always hard to set up the proper budget. It's just every time depends on the numbers. But first, if you if you try to set up the budget, like let's let's have like free variations, so basically something like a default budget of let's say. Uh, an example 50k then adventurous budget of like 200,000 per month and then a scaling budget or like very high target for like f- 500,000 and you have like these like abc options and you pr- prepare for all of these options like okay so if we spend this if we go big and we spend 500,000 what's going to happen you will you put that that plan together and then mm. you have the plan A, B, and C. And if you see like, okay, so this is the numbers we are looking at. Okay, what can we done? What can be done? But you usually start with smaller budgets and then incrementally increase the budget week over week or month over month. Because, well, if you spend 500,000 in one month and then say, okay, well, the numbers are look, not looking that great. Now what? <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how it used to go, right? So yeah, I think yeah, like big launches are something yeah, from yeah. yesterday. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's if yeah, 2015, 16, definitely. Now, yeah, if you have a money, if you have money and and you are, well, you have stable numbers, you are definitely confident about what you are seeing in the soft launch. Then yes, of course, like big launch makes sense, but you need to have also a big soft launch to get. <laughs> statistically yeah. significant numbers so you can spend uh, 500 and more yeah and usually these games aren't really ready when <laughs> yeah exactly because yeah. yeah 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 we are definitely ready and then you scale to like 2 million or 3 million sometimes even yeah. 200,000 it's 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 a scale and then you see like oh okay so yeah let's scale back and then we need to fix this and that and improve the this and that and then we can we can get back which is this is, well, it's nothing wrong. It's just, you know, this is how it is sometimes. Yeah, we need to admit <laughs> the reality. Yeah, 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 yeah of yeah. course. Hey, Mate, I have some final questions for nice. you. Okay. And, uh, first one is like your favorite book and why? Yeah, I read Good to Great uh, by Jim Collins. I loved it really uh, because, well, I always think about people as a front and center of the, the industry. And I think... People are always good thing for business. And I, I, I know like sometimes like being an asshole, uh, it's just not getting you anywhere, at least from the long-term uh, point of view. So this 
this book is definitely talking about how people can be very important part of the, the industry or like the the company as well. And it, it talks about the, your motivation and like how, what you do and what you, if you're really loving what you do, you can definitely great, be a great leader. You have, you can get great company. And if you have right people, you can do basically anything in the world because you, you're loving what you're doing. You have the great people alongside you. So you can, you know, if something doesn't work, you can pivot multiple times and you're still having these people on, on board and they will help you to get wherever you want, basically. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have a, a story that has shaped you in how you approach your work today? I, yeah, I guess, I guess I have. Probably when I was, when I was thinking about this, it's just, uh, I think I, I, I need to go back in in years and it was a long time ago i think i was working with with the company and they hired the consultant basically consultant came in he or she we had uh, like one or two days workshops about marketing product and whatever like the whole gaming gaming business it was all all bullshit and fluff so basically everything we knew back then back then so it wasn't like definitely helpful for, for us. And uh, I think the company spent a lot of money and uh, I just, you know, I just said to myself, well, holy shit, <laughs> I can do this. I can do the, definitely do this better because, well, if, if some company hires a consultant or whoever, they want to learn and they you know improve. So, okay. So I can, I can get there. I can get that. I can, I can share my knowledge, my experience and actually help other companies to grow because, well, I've been in the industry for some time. So why, why not do that? So, so that's definitely, you know, something that happened. And I, I wanted to just share the, um, the stories from the, the other side of the barricades, like definitely share some actionable insights and next steps and recommendations that, you know, companies can utilize and, and, and actually, <laughs> actually work with those to to get somewhere and and improve. And the the very similar thing happened when when I was attending multiple conferences and seeing some presentations about well, either sales stuff or just uh, vague decks without like any numbers or like any any actual insights for the for the audience. So then when when we launched Diggy's Adventure when I was at Pixel Federation, I, I just built a global launch case study deck full with numbers went on the multiple conferences uh, and the conferences tour basically and uh, and shared everything we we learned and uh, how the numbers looked really real numbers no no bullshit and uh, since then i think i just you know i just believe in no bullshit policy and honest feedback and i'm always trying to ask myself uh, frequently like okay so am i bringing value if yes, perfect. If not, then well, what can I do uh, to to get back on track? So I, I also hope like this this discussion we had just now can bring value to to the companies, because then if not, then I, I need to I need to talk to myself. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure it does. Uh, it's really good. Good forty five minutes that we've spent now. Yeah, talking. nice. It's really awesome. <laughs> Final question: What's the way for you know studio? founders people out there to to reach out to you if they have questions yeah definitely hit me up on linkedin or just go to to my website it's uh, lanc 
A-R-I-C.me. So basically my surname.me. Hey man, this was really good. Uh, I, I I think we need to do this when the industry has changed a bit yeah. more. Redo of it. Of course. <laughs> I'm 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 definitely in. Of course. Cool. Thanks, All right. man. Hey, take care. See you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye. If you like our content, please hit follow or subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is available. And in the meantime, please go and check out our website at EliteGameDevelopers.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter on what's happening in gaming startups. See you next time, guys. Bye-bye.